You're listening to the 1208-Bit Nerd Church Podcast. Join us on Discord. into a conversation tonight about God's family. God's family. Now, when it comes to God's family, uh, you have kind of two different families who are one family at the same time. The first one is a heavenly family. Uh, These heavenly beings that preceded human beings being made on the earth, God had a spiritual family. And you kind of see that family language related in the Old Testament, under the title Sons of God. Uh, When Sons of God is used in the Bible, um, usually our first thought is that we think of Jesus, because Jesus is the Son of God, T-H-E-E, Son of God. But in the Old Testament, that phrase is typically used to denote all of the spiritual beings of heaven who are the Sons of God. Uh, so while Jesus may also be a spiritual being and the uh, a, a son of God, he is more than that because he is the son of God. Just like he is the human of humans, so he is the spiritual being of spiritual beings. He is the son of Adam of all sons of Adam and the son of God of all sons of God. Um, but this heavenly family consists of spiritual beings that live in the heavens and their job is to... Uh, cooperate with God and try to um, find ways to to really collaborate with Him on um, serving Him. And their matters sometimes, therefore, partake in the heavens as sons of God, but sometimes their matters partake on the earth as well. Now, take any spiritual being you want. Um, if it's a spiritual being, then by definition it belongs in, um, or at least at one point, did belong in God's heavenly family. Uh, For the most part, spiritual beings are just lumped under the heading sons of God. So they could be angels, cherubim, seraphim, whatever position they take in the hierarchy, they belong with God in heaven. Of course, we know the story. That's not the case for all spiritual beings now. Some of them were sentenced down to the earth and then even below the earth in the underworld like Satan and the angels that followed him and uh, turned against God. Um, And so they are now kind of seen as opposite of God's heavenly family. They are now his rivals. And uh, uh, that's kind of what we have going on in the spiritual realm of God's family. Now on the earthly realm of God's family, God created human beings, and um, they are to be his representation on the earth. They get actual physical bodies to live out the kinds of things that God wants them to live out and to reign on the earth and subject it so that it will look like heaven, just as the heavens kind of need to be, or the spiritual realm needs to be kind of... um, conformed to his will, so the earthly realm needs to be conformed to his will. And human beings are working the earth to do just that. But uh, human beings 
are fractured. They start as one big family. And I'd say they start as one big happy family, but the Bible actually shows us that human beings get fractured very quickly. It all starts with Adam and Eve, and then in due time, there's fracture. There's fracture between husband and wife because now they're blaming each other. Then they have kids. We are one generation removed, and then there's fracture. There's fracture between Cain and Abel, and one of them kills the other one. And then there's fracture. They go on to uh, found cities, and they begin to live among other human beings that, to me, appear to have already been on the earth, according to the way Genesis seems to give us a kind of uh, strange comments on all this. And now we have fracture, because cities are rising up around families. And then those families continue to get fractured, and we look at more and more families rise up, and even the ones that are called by God and follow God, they get fractured, and they keep repeating the problems of the families before them. In the same way that Eve took uh, the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and gave it to Adam to eat, that language is echoed when Sarah takes her servant, Hagar, and offers her to Abraham as a opportunity to have a child in a cultural way that they had at the time. Um, and there's fracture as that is repeated. And um, Hagar, Sarah's servant, has a child, and there's fracture as that child and Hagar are now kind of abandoned and treated horribly as uh, um, the slaves that, that they were. They're treated horribly, and they have to run away. And, and God blesses Hagar and Hagar's child, and now this creates a new kind of fracture between the promise that God intended Abraham and Sarah to have, and now a promise that has also been imparted to um, this plan that Abraham and Sarah have created, and fracture after fracture continues until we get all the way to uh, humanity. Um, well, actually, this happened before it. Humanity tries at one point to kind of bring it all together. God tells them to spread out, but they don't. Instead, they try to unify themselves in their own understanding, to build their own temples, their own places of worship, try to fit uh, the spiritual realm into their own box, and they build this Tower of Babel as one unit, and uh, um, they clearly are not pursuing God very well at this point. At best, they're trying to put God into their own box, and at worst, they're just worshiping false gods through the ziggurat of the Tower of Babel. And they get fractured again. The family that was one same language-speaking family uh, because they have sinned against God and because they're not um, doing as he commanded and going out into the, all the earth, they get fractured by all their languages, and they spread out throughout the earth. Fracture after fracture continues, and if you look at the story of the Old Testament, a lot of times you'll notice that all of these people who are fighting each other, at one point they were all one big family. So the Old Testament's kind of pictured as like a, a giant fight between family members who have broken into different sects and cults and 
um, um, religions and all kinds of things, and fracture after fracture after fracture has separated them. Now, the interesting thing that happens in the New Testament is that God reunifies humanity. People were not capable of doing this. People throughout history have been very bad at doing this. Even in modern history, when you look at how people fracture, like we, we are not good at unifying across all different kinds of lines. But in the New Testament, God did something new that started to break down racism and started to break down all the lines that humanity made. He, in the same way that he separated people by their languages in the Old Testament, under Jesus and the people who followed him, he gave all those languages back and told them to go save the whole world and to bring the family back together and and unify it under God so that they might enter into God's family. And this is very intriguing in all the different ways that it goes, because on one hand, um, we see the New Testament starting to talk about Christians as children of God. And uh, the way in which we're talked about that, some of the things that like Paul says we're going to do someday, Paul says one day we're going to judge angels. Well, that's something that the sons of God did in the heavenly realm. So when we hear Paul say that, we recognize that Paul's saying, like, you, you remember God's old spiritual family and, like, a bunch of them have been kicked out of heaven? Like, Christians, you're the replacement plan. Like, you're the ones who are going to fill in. You, you are children of God. You, you are spiritual beings already. When you see that word saints in the New Testament— the word that's used for saints in the New Testament is a word that was used for spiritual beings in the Old Testament. It, it means holy ones. The sons of God in the Old Testament were called holy ones, but in the New Testament, you're called holy ones. We say it, we call it saints. I don't like that word because it doesn't imply what the Bible was fully getting at. Saints to us just means righteous people, which, yeah. Um, but the way in which Paul's using it, um, you get this understanding that as Christians, we have been brought into God's heavenly family. We are, in a sense, like we're joining with the angels. We're, we're becoming a unified family between spiritual and the earthly realm. So that's, that's one piece, that when we follow Jesus, we enter God's heavenly family. We become children of God, sons of God, daughters of God. But there's more beyond that, too. Humanity is finally capable of reunifying itself when it decides that Jesus is king, and when uh, we set aside our differences to come and unify under him. Now, what's difficult, I think, in modern evangelism is that we, we have taken the way that the Bible talks about reaching people, and we've just kind of destroyed it. Um, we have made evangelism to be, in the evangelical church, we've made evangelism to be very white. So if you are a person of color and you try to go to a multicultural church, usually what that means is you as a person of color need to try to set aside your culture and become more white. If you go to some places overseas to see the kind of evangelism we've done, you will feel strange because you might walk and say, Africa... But the way that these Africans are doing church 
and the way that they're dressing and acting, it's not African at all. It's very white, as though somebody came in and taught them how to be white Christians. And that's a lot of times in the modern world how we talk about um, uh, the family of God, is, is that we're trying to convert everybody, not into Christians, but into our standard evangelical white form of, of Christianity. And it's, it's just a, it's a strange in many ways, aberration of what happens. Because if you pay close attention to the way the family of God is described in the New Testament, they are supposed to be different. People were not supposed to become Jewish to become Christians. They were supposed to remain their own culture and have their culture baptized. And I think this is incredibly important for us to recognize. Because when you see Paul get super mad at the fact that uh, the Jews, the Jewish Christians are trying to force these new Roman Jewish Christians, these new Roman Christians to become Jewish, um, it just gets weird. So Paul gets angry. Like at one point, he almost seems to use some very borderline cursing language in the Greek to... um, yell at his Jewish brothers and sisters for circumcising uh, these Gentile Christians. Because in Paul's mind, it's like you're ruining the whole point. Like, God is not out to turn all the Gentiles into Jews. He's out to turn all the cultures of all the Gentiles into being obedient to Christ. And so Paul knows, like, he he shouldn't be going and seeing the customs of the Jews practiced in all these places. He should be seeing their own customs, but now baptized. So somebody who is um, worshiping God in one form of music, they don't need to convert it to become Jewish music. Their music now just takes on a Christ kind of spin. And this is why uh, the early church, when they're trying to decide, uh, mostly as Jewish Christians, like, what should we tell all these Gentiles? How should we tell them how to live? Because we have over 600 rules they're supposed to follow. What should we tell all these Gentiles? Which rules are important to follow? They decide on like three or four. They don't even have the big 10 commandments. They just decide on three or four. And those three are more or less like don't sleep around and don't worship idols or things like that. Um, Do these kinds of things and you'll do well. That's their extension to the Gentiles. They don't give them the law book of 600 rules to follow. They give them just a few guidelines as to how they know Christians should live. And they hope that the Holy Spirit will teach these Gentiles how to convert their cultures otherwise. So a more modern example that might be helpful to um, thinking about this. um, Theologian I really like named Greg Boyd talked about... uh, this couple that went and did evangelism in this village. And the village got saved, but the village had a practice that they considered sacred, which was um, it was female circumcision, more or less, like mutilation um, of the female genitals. And these Christians knew that this was wrong, but they also knew that these people that they had just led to Christ, like, they were still holding very tight to this tradition, and they knew that if they pressed at it, that these people would reject the gospel and not listen. So what they decided to do was bring in some modern medicine and be there to help with these uh, 
with what we would call like female mutilation is what we would call it today. Uh, they helped to make sure that I was as safe and secure as possible until one day this village was like convicted by the Holy Spirit and they looked at each other like, why are we still doing this? Like, this is not what God would have us do. And they decided that day to stop. Like, that's an example right there. And we might argue as to if they should have been patient or not, but that's an example right there of a village and its cultures and customs being conformed to the Holy Spirit as they enter into the family of God. In that moment, on that particular culture and custom, they were not conformed to be like these evangelists. These evangelists hoped the Holy Spirit would make them aware that this isn't how we live. And the people opened their hearts and minds to Christ, and eventually they, they understood that that's exactly what God would tell them, and they stopped. But this is a more beautiful, vibrant, ethic, uh, ethnic kind of Christianity where people of all different kinds of cultures come to Christ, all different genres, all different kinds of food, all different kinds of, of ways of living, and they conform their minds to be like Christ, and they don't become Jewish, but they become Christ followers, and their traditions follow behind. Again, that's not something the white Christian church does well because we want everyone else to become like us, but that is the way that... Uh, Paul did ministry. He always paid attention to the places he was doing ministry, and he, he tried to fit into their bubbles. If he was talking to philosophers, he found ways to philosophize about who Jesus was. If he was talking to religious people, he found ways to talk in terms of their own religion that they might understand. Um, he just constantly listened to the Holy Spirit to try to find creative ways to bridge the gap so people of all different kinds of cultures and customs would start to follow Jesus and bend their cultures and customs to Jesus. And once they did that, despite the fact that they were still different, they all became one family. They became the spiritual family of God in the heavens, though here on the earth for now, and they also became the earthly family of God. That Jews and Gentiles would now sit at the same table worship the same Jesus, look at each other and say, we are all the same. It doesn't matter what kind of differences we have. They didn't have to erase their differences necessarily, unless Jesus convicted them that they were doing something sinful. Instead, they celebrated their differences and unified it under Christ. And this is all the more reason why Paul was so ticked at Peter when Peter one day was sitting at the lunch table with the Gentiles, and then he saw his Jewish brothers come in, and he got nervous of what his Jewish brothers would think about him sitting at the Gentiles, and so Peter got up and switched lunch tables. Like, Paul, Paul was furious about that. He calls Peter out in the scriptures, in a letter that he writes, and uh, Paul's upset because he's, he's, he's adding disunity to the family of God, who is all one and the same. Indeed, that's part of what communion's about. Communion is about a lot of things, including the self-sacrifice of Jesus and our forgiveness of sins. Yes, we all know that one. But communion is also about uh, the fact that we are all partaking of the same exact body and the same exact blood, and that equalizes us at the table. You might be richer than me, but in Christ we are the same. You might have more power and authority in the social world than I do, but in Christ we are the same. I might be a slave, but in Christ I am the same. 
I might be a king, but in Christ I am the same. Christ is the great equalizer that all children of God would be put into the same family and loved and treated exactly the same. And if you fast forward all the way to the end of the Bible, I know we're always thinking of heaven as like this place up in the sky somewhere we go and we die and that everybody's exactly the same. That's not the way Revelation pictures it. Revelation pictures um, that we come back to earth and that there are kings and queens of all different kinds of cultures and places and lands on the planet and that they they come from all of their different lands and they bring their offering to God at the great glorious temple that's set up on the planet as the central hub of of God's presence that is a very different ending to our bible than a lot of people realize is that one day we still have our differences but we are all the same family and unified at the same time. In heaven, everyone does not become white or black or Asian or German or so on and so forth. In heaven, we actually seem to maintain our identities and we are able to celebrate within our families, our familial identities, but also as one collective planet of a family as well. So anyways, all that being said, there's a lot of interesting um, points to pull out about the family of God. And that's something that's heavy on my mind right now as I'm looking at some of the things that God has been doing um, in the background of my own life, trying to kind of keep my mind open to recognizing how 1208 can uh, find its place of of being more multicultural, but not in the sense that people of other cultures come to 1208 to become white like me, but in a way in which we can celebrate all the ways in which we are, enjoy it, and come together in that way. It's not something that church even does well amongst their their own people of the same culture. Just think of think of all the churches that have two different services, one for the old people, one for the young people, and the main split is between hymns and modern music. Like that right there is an example that like we just don't like celebrating the kinds of things that make us different and we just add division back into the family of God by by saying, "Yeah, I'm not going to do that with you." and being stubborn. Uh so Yeah. So being the family of God is is very much about unity, and Jesus knew that. In fact, it was his high priestly prayer that he prayed. Uh, he actually prayed a prayer for us. It's recorded in the scriptures. He prayed over his disciples and everyone who came to faith after him, and Jesus' big prayer and that prayer was that we would all be one, that we would all come together. And if we listen to Jesus, we are able to do that. Uh, just like the Azusa Street Church, where the Holy Spirit poured out, people were super confused at that time because uh, racism was prevalent, segregation was prevalent, and yet this the Holy Spirit poured out on the this place on Azusa Street, and suddenly blacks and whites were hanging out together, praying for one another, laying hands on one another, 
asking the Holy Spirit to come on one another, things that at that time could have got people killed just for black and white people touching how bad racism was at the time, that's what the church became. It, it became a unifying um, force between people who were usually segregated, and it celebrated their different cultures, and it pulled them together into one family at the same time. Okay. <clears throat> Brief recap on the things I got into under the family of God. One, you are accepted into God's spiritual heavenly family. Two, the fractures of the family are being healed under the reign of Jesus and our allegiance to him. And three, we are perfectly in our biblical right to remain diverse and yet at the same time become one unit. God is not coming back for a white bride. He's coming back for a multi-ethnic one with all kinds of cultural celebrations. And we need to continue to give over all of our cultures, be it white or anything else, over to God so that he can conform it to the fullness of, of what he wants our cultures to be like. Jesus, we thank you for this time together. We thank you that we can uh, be the family of God. And I recognize that we come together right now as a, a nerd church, which means on one hand, we're celebrating our differences. Not everybody is into the kinds of things that we're into. But at the same time, we are perfectly fine with unifying ourselves with the rest of the church at large, too. We thank you that we can celebrate our differences. And we thank you that we can celebrate the way in which we connect with our family in all their places. Um, and we thank you that we're constantly trying to figure out with nerd culture how to conform it to your will and how to ask you to baptize it. God, I've seen that question come up over and over again over the last few years in nerd church where people say, here's something nerdy that I love. What do you guys think about it? Is it appropriate or no? And then we come together and try to understand how the Holy Spirit might lead us to baptize our own nerd culture into what you want it to be. So let us use this specific uh, enjoyment and culture that we have so that we might reach other people like us. But don't let us uh, become homogenous in our nerdiness to the point that um, we want everyone else to be like us or think that we're higher than everybody else or elitist or anything like that. Let us blend into your family in the beautiful um, multicultural breathing entity that it is. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat>